Welcome to Between a Rock and a Hard Place. I'm Hannah. And I'm Colleen. And we're going to tell you about our life in Iraq. It's going to be fun. I hope so. All right, part three. Modern Chaldean church history. Which you said was like, let's go talk about persecution. <laughs> I mean, that is what a lot of the modern Chaldean church history is. Because they stopped all fighting with each other. You know, they got conglomerated into one pretty solid group. And now they're the, a threat? Now they're a threat, apparently. Apparently. So we're going to skip. We we ended in like the 18th, well... The 19, the, early the 1900s. The early 1900s. We're going to skip ahead to the 2000s. That's like actual modern history. Actual modern in the last 20-ish years. Wow. Okay. Again, which is not to say that there wasn't persecution in the between times of that. Right. There was a lot of upheaval in the Middle East in general. Not not great times to be living in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. But we're going to skip to... that's when both of us lived there. Well, post-2000. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the before-2000 times, also not oh, a great time right. to be living Also not a great time. Okay. So we're going to talk about the 2000s onward, mm-hmm. because there are two big exoduses of Chaldeans during this time. All right. There were some before, but for the most part, Chaldeans stayed where they were. Mm-hmm. They were going to tough it out. But the first one happened in 2003. Can that you think sense. of anything that maybe happened previous to 2003 that would make them want to skedaddle? I mean, persecution from Saddam? Yeah, when you got Saddam. There was kind of a big thing that happened in Iraq in like 2001, 2002. The second gulf war or whatever title you want to give it right the iraq war the iraq war post 9-11 uh-huh happens in 2001-2002 right okay as that conflict kind of starts to come to not a close because it's kind of still going on but to a settled level of you know americans aren't constantly bombing iraq a government is being set up kind of place, uh-huh. about 60,000 Chaldean Christians said, we're out of here. We want to leave. We don't want to be here anymore. Okay. Was that because of the new government? Because of the war that had been happening in the past? Like A little bit because of the war that had been happening in the past. So the government that the U.S. started to set up was supposed to represent each religious people group right so really the christians were getting a voice in the government in a way that they hadn't before but i think a lot of them were like we're tired of being at war all the time christians in the west are now aware that we exist Hmm. and would be more likely to give us refuge yeah because the dislike of muslims is high Mm. and so they're gonna give us refugee status because we are Christians living Mm -hmm. under persecution in the Middle East. Okay. This is a chance for us to get our families out of here and into countries where they can have a future. We -hmm. see no future in Iraq. Even though they'd had hundreds of years of history there. Yes. Okay. 
but then hundreds of years of war as right. well. Right. So they kind of go, this is our chance to get out and start a new life. And they start uh, immigrating, finding refugee status in the U.S., Australia, and Canada. Those mm-hmm. are the three big places. So not a lot in Europe, a little farther out. And it seems like they probably made a right, uh, a good choice because okay. in 2007, there is the murder of Father Rahid, Rahid Aziz Ghani and right. three other church leaders, uh, which happens in Mosul. All right. So Mosul at this point is Christian, Arab, Muslim, and Kurdish Muslims mm-hmm. kind of forced to be mixed together. All right. Yeah. Where it had historically been Christian with Muslim minority. Okay. So this is kind of a big statement by the Muslim population of, we don't have any respect for your church leaders, we're going to kill them. Okay. Um, I bet that shook things up. It shook things up a lot, and the Catholic Church looked at it, and we're like, well, this is real bad. This guy was doing a lot of good. We're going to give him the status of servant of God. Okay. This murdered priest, uh, Ghani, is his last name. And that's kind of significant because servant of God is the first step on the way to Catholic sainthood. Ah. So he would be, should he become a saint, he would become one of the first Chaldean Catholic saints in the Roman Catholic Church. Okay. Especially in modern times. Right. Um, I don't know how that's going. Uh, I mean, it's been a while since then. But it usually takes a significant amount of time. It takes a significant amount of time. Mother Teresa hasn't gotten sainthood yet, and I feel like she might be a priority a little bit. People recognize her more, so the Catholic Church might want to push that a little faster. So it's not really a surprise he hasn't become a saint yet, but it seems like he might be eventually. Interesting. Uh, and then in 2008, there's another murder in Mosul. Also a church leader and three companions, like the other one. Mm-hmm. But this is an archbishop. So he's a little higher ranked. A little higher ranked, which means that it's definitely dangerous for Christians to be in Mosul at this point. Okay. Safety is not guaranteed. Also in 2008, 1,000... Assyrian families from the Assyrian Church of the East, right, who had been split off for a while. Uh, they split off in 1672. They come to the Chaldean Catholic Church and ask if they can be in communion with the Chaldean Catholic Church. Aha! More unification. More unification. Are they also feeling threatened by the persecution, perhaps? Probably. Probably feeling a little threatened. Probably also watching their numbers dwindle due mm-hmm. to violence. And so wanting some solidarity of church leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and community. Yeah. And this is not all the Assyrian Church of the East. It's about a thousand families. So not everybody. But a significant number. So that's the first big ex- exodus, 2003. Mm-hmm. Then we had the second one in uh, 2012 which is after Saddam has fallen, after all of that is over. Mm -hmm. This is the point where they say, we need to get out of here because the Muslims are all fighting with each other and we're going to get caught in the middle. Okay. 
This is not necessarily based on like themselves being persecuted. It's that there's enough violence here and we don't want to pick sides mm -hmm. and we don't really want to be part of it. Right. We don't want to be part of this anymore. The power structure has been destroyed. So there is no stability and all of these Muslims are going to start fighting each other and then they're going to turn and look at us and we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, considering what happened in the next few years, seems a little prescient. Yes. A little bit. They, they learned their history. Let's mm -hmm. put it that way. So this isn't just 60,000. This is hundreds of thousands. The numbers are hard to quantify. It's mm -hmm. hard to know because not everybody left as a refugee. Some mm -hmm. left as immigrants. Some just left. Did family reunifications right. or started businesses in places. Mm -hmm. and... So it's harder, it's harder to track the numbers exactly. But again, still go into the U.S., Canada, and Australia. In 2013 was the first year that the current patriarch was appointed. His name is Luis Rafael I. Sacco. Okay. I wanted to talk about him because he's, he's still the patriarch there. But he was born in Zaho. Um, it's which right is, on the Turkish border mm -hmm. between, like, near Dahuk. Mm -hmm. Which is also historically Christian town, which I didn't know. I don't think I knew that either. Until I started reading about Sako from Zaho. I also liked that <laughs> combination. Mm -hmm. um, and he tried to uni reunite the ancient church, church of the East, the Assyrian Church of the East, and... Chaldean Catholicism all back together again. Yeah. He talked to the leaders of the other churches and was like, hey, why don't you just come come back? Yeah. Come back together with us. And they were kind of like, hmm, no thanks. Didn't really put any effort into it. I mean, it's also understandable. Like, true. there's enough other upheaval in life. Why do we need more? Right, right. They're like, no, we'll just let things be what they are. Uh, and then Sacco was made a cardinal of the Catholic Church All right. in 2018. So he's both the patriarch of the Chaldean Catholic Church, and now he is a cardinal in the Roman Catholic Church, which means he has a lot of power and influence, mm -hmm. which I suspect is why things that happened more recently happened. Okay. We'll get there. That's a little ominous, but also a little intriguing. It's not ominous. So then in 2014, we have the rise of ISIS. Right. Lots of problems. Lots, lots and lots of problems. So up to this time, Mosul and Al-Qosh really have been the centers of Chaldean Catholicism in northern Iraq. Right. ISIS pushes up from the south into Mosul and just destroys everything. Yes. They tear down churches. They tear down mosques of Muslims that don't believe what they believe. They kill a bunch of Yazidis. They push almost the entire Christian population of Mosul, who have lived there since 431 mm -hmm. or before. They push them out of Mosul. Right. Almost all of them. And out of a lot of the Christian villages surrounding the Mosul area, if you're a Christian, you're allowed to leave with little to nothing. Mm -hmm. 
but right. you have to leave. Right. Or be killed. Right. You could stay if you pay extraordinarily high taxes and are all right with living with the idea that you could be killed at any moment and you're not allowed to go to church. Yeah. So basically, get out. Mm-hmm. That's the first time in church history that the church has been pushed out of Mosul. Wow. Um, they destroy the majority of the churches. They tear down all the crosses. They get rid of all the iconography. They burn as many Bibles and Christian books as they can get a hold of, along with a lot of other historical records of Mosul. Yeah, I remember hearing stories of church leaders early on in those days, like, filling up their cars with, like, manuscripts and documents from over 1,500 years ago mm-hmm. and trying to get them out and save them. Right. And there's the monastery in Al-Kosh that has mm-hmm. been around since the 400s yeah. that holds a lot of those historical records. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a lot of concern there for was. Al-Kosh. Yeah. Mosul, uh, ISIS never got to Al-Kosh. Right. Al-Kosh was protected in part by the Kurds. Yeah. Um... And a lot of the Christians in Mosul fled to Al-Kosh because it is now the seat of the patriarchy in some ways. Um, The Catholic Church, previous to this, actually made the seat of the patriarchy in Baghdad to kind of centralize the church a little bit better. Uh But historically, Al-Kosh has kind of been the home, as it were. Right, that was where the school was for the monks and the priests and mm-hmm. there's a lot of educational flavor there even still i remember meeting uh one of the monks there who did not look in any way the way i thought a monk would look mm-hmm. he had like a buzz cut and sunglasses and a leather a black leather jacket and i remember him talking about how he spent a lot of his time with the youth and also working on translating manuscripts from, like, 500 into modern languages and putting them on the internet so that the youth would have access to the ancient teachings mm-hmm. and the ancient books. Mm-hmm. And it was he was a fascinating, fascinating person. Yeah. Yeah, they also run a boys' home out of, yeah. out of the monastery there, which I remember when we went going and being like all these teenage boys like running around what is going on because i didn't know Uh uh uh-huh and one of the the monks or maybe one of the priests came out and like explained to us who they were and what they were doing and to let him know if they were bothering us and yeah so it's a pretty cool pretty vibrant place and i was in the u.s when all of this was happening and i remember watching some of the videos of the destruction of mosul and i was like they're Where coming are my f- friends in Alkosh. Right, they're coming for Alkosh next. Like Yeah. I remember feeling that too. What are we going to do? And also being really annoyed that they destroyed the tomb of Jonah cuz I yeah. was like someday I wanted to go there. Yeah. It had never been safe enough theoretically, you know, right, for, for, for me to go, go see it, mm-hmm. but I wanted to. Yeah, so some of the Christians fled to Alkosh. Mhm. A lot of them also fled up into Kurdistan. Yeah, because because the Kurdish government said we will keep you safe if you come up here. You're welcome. 
and De Hook and Erbil both have fairly large Christian populations. Mm-hmm. Um, again, Zaho is a not far from De Hook and is a Christian town. A lot of those people also live in the De Hook area. There are a couple other smaller cities between Alcoche and De Hook, um, and then there's an entire suburb of Erbil that's just a Christian suburb, and we'll talk about them in a minute. Just to interrupt, if you really want to help us out, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if you don't use Apple Podcasts, the reviews there really help us get found by other people. So if you could do that for us, that would be great. Thanks. It seems highly unlikely that any of those Christians that fled Mosul will go back to Mosul. Mm -hmm. There has been some expectation that they will go back. Most of them at this point say, it was our neighbors who betrayed us. Why would we go back to live amongst them? Yeah. Like, part of the reason that they lived there for so long was they had a what they thought were good relationships with their Muslim neighbors. And now they don't feel like that's true anymore. Mm-hmm. Before I left for the summer in 2014, had arranged to rent an apartment from a Christian friend in De Hook that was above his family home. And he emailed me when I was supposed to come back and was like, so you can't live with us in that apartment anymore because we have rented it to, we've given it to Christians from Mosul who didn't mm-hmm. have anywhere else to live. We've given them both the upstairs apartments, mm-hmm. so we can't live there. Um, most of the Christian families that I knew had taken in Christians from Mosul. Yeah. The church in Erbil set up basically a little refugee camp in and around the church grounds Yeah, for people to live. I visited one on one of my visits, I think in 2015 um, or 2016, in a church in Zuli that mm-hmm. basically the entire church building had been strung up with like fabric canvas you know dividers and you know they turned a whole section of the outside into bathrooms and washing machines and like a communal living kitchens and mm-hmm. um that it was essentially now a, a, vi- a village on a in a in and on a church, right? Yep, and that kept a lot of the Christians out of the UNHCR refugee camps. Yeah, which were full of Yazidis, and and some Muslims as well, which is kind of a testament to the church taking care of itself. Yeah, which was very cool to see. A lot of those. Christians didn't want to establish lives for themselves in Kurdistan, even though Kurdistan said, live here, be here, we'll help you as much as we can. A lot of those people were like, we don't, we don't want to be in Iraq anymore. Mm-hmm. We don't want to live here anymore. We want out. We want to live in Christian countries like America, Canada, and Australia. A lot of my Christian friends who lived in Kurdistan, not fleeing from Mosul also took that opportunity to apply for refugee status because they had the same feeling of it's just going to get worse. 
Mm-hmm. Like, they've kicked us out of Mosul. There's no point in us staying anymore. The church is being established in other places. We'll, we'll just leave. We'll just go. Um, and a lot of Western countries open their, the doors to fleeing persecuted Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, the church in the West did a good job of pushing for their countries to take in Christian refugees. So in the U.S., most Chaldean Christians live in Michigan, California, or Arizona. Okay. Three very different places. And very spread out across the U.S. Very spread out across the U.S. Um, In 1982, the the Chaldean Catholic Church established the Diocese of St. Thomas the Apostle of Detroit. Okay. And from 1982 to 2002, that was the only Chaldean diocese in the U.S. All right. So it covered all of the U.S. All of the U.S. Any Chaldean Christian living in the U.S. was in that diocese. And Detroit has the largest population of Chaldean Christians outside of Iraq. Mm -hmm. There are about 150,000 of them living in, in the Detroit area as of 2016. All right. So there are probably, that's what, five years ago? There's almost definitely more now. At this point, that diocese covers all of the eastern U.S. Okay. So there's a new one then for the western U.S.? There is. uh, In 2002, the Diocese of St. Peter the Apostle of San Diego was established, and it covers all of the west. Okay. Um, There Obviously, was a big enough Chaldean community in the San Diego area mm-hmm. that they were like, hey, we need our own administration here. Yeah. Um, a lot of my friends that have moved to the U.S. have moved either to Detroit or San Diego. I don't know of a lot that have moved to Arizona. Yeah, I don't know. It seems... I mean, it makes sense. It's deserty there. But <laughs> it seems... I personally don't have any experience with that. So that's kind of where people are in the U.S. Mm-hmm. There also is a diocese that was established in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about Australia. I don't know if there are enough there that they have their own diocese or if they're under something else. I, I don't care. Okay. I didn't really look into that. Australia is a long way away. It is. So that's kind of the status of the diaspora of the Chaldean church. Yeah. In Iraq... The Chaldean Church definitely still exists. Most recently, in March, they were visited by the Pope. Oh, yeah. I read all about that. Everyone was so excited. It was going to be the Pope's first international trip since the beginning of the pandemic. And there was a lot of debate over whether or not he should come or not and what that would do with gatherings of people. And um, But at the same time, I feel like Christians there were starting to feel more forgotten and so I know that it was a it was a really big deal for him to come and visit and travel through northern Iraq. And he is the first pope to have been there ever in recent history at least. A long 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 time. It's been a long time. So it was a very big deal. Very very celebratory. It is a little bit of what started me down the Chaldean church rabbit trail because I was like, but they're Chaldean, not 
Catholic, so why are they excited about the Pope? But now I understand. They are Catholic. They're just Chaldean Catholic under Rome. So the Pope is their leader, and they would be excited to see him. Right. And I get it now. It all makes sense. It all makes sense. Uh, And while the Pope was there, he encouraged forgiveness, peace, and unity. Forgiveness presumably towards the Muslim population, peace between Muslims and Christians, and unity as a whole, outside of the church as well as inside of the church. None of the Chaldean church leadership has really pushed people to move back to Mosul. Mm-hmm. They're not saying, this is what you have to do. Yeah. This is what we're recommending that you do. They're kind of going, we would like for the church to return to Mosul, but we also understand why they don't want to. Yeah. So choose choose what is best for your family. Um, and again, I mean, and that's not even taking into account the sheer difficulty of rebuilding homes, businesses, infrastructure. There are a lot of villages that people don't want to go back to or can't figure out how to rebuild for the very reason of the, the physical difficulties of doing that, let alone, are you going to trust your neighbors? Are you going to be able to invest in your life? Mm-hmm. Physical and financial. Like, when a town is destroyed, there also is no commerce in that town anymore. Right. If the school doesn't exist anymore, are you going to take your kids away from where they can get an education to someplace where they are not going to get an education until you've spent long enough there to rebuild your home, rebuild your business, and then rebuild the school? Mm -hmm. So at this point in Iraq... There's still a lot of Christians in the Al-Kosh area because mm-hmm. it did not fall. Um, and there are one or two smaller towns around there that also hold a lot of Christians. The next biggest enclave is in Ankawa, which is, uh, well, it used to be a suburb of Erbil. Erbil has kind of expanded into Ankawa now. It's definitely like the Christian section of Erbil. Yeah. Um it has a very different feel and culture to it. It does. And we used to go over there. I used to live, like, really close to Ankawa, so we would go over there quite a bit. Lots of really cool churches. hmm Not ones that I would call ancient and historically beautiful. Okay. A lot of them have been modernized to some extent. Yeah. Which is fair. Um, so Ankawa is one, and then there is also a, a pretty big community in Dehuk. hmm And they don't have a separate like, the Christian neighborhood. They're kind of scattered throughout to hook. Um, but there are quite a few of them there as well. So that's kind of where they are in, in Iraq. But there are less than 200,000 remaining in Iraq total. Yeah. There are not very many of them left. And there are a lot of international groups that are offering aid to those who want to stay who are saying, we'll come back and help you rebuild your house and rebuild the church and we'll support you financially and we'll help establish schools if you want to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but again, those still don't address the long-term personal connections or lack of personal connection right. that exists. Yeah. So it seems to me, I don't really want to predict, 
But yeah. it seems to me that the Chaldean church, if it's going to continue to exist, will move into the U.S. probably. It seems to be, I mean, when there are 150,000 just, just in Detroit. Right. And 200,000 in all of Iraq. It seems like that shift has already started. Yeah. So I think, I think that's going to continue. I hope that they can hold on to Al-Kosh. Yeah. And some of those, I don't know, those traditions, the, the history of who, who brought your people, the, their faith. Like, that's mm-hmm. not something I have as an American Christian. Right. And it's it's cool having some of that history. Even the idea that, you know, your bread over the years has come from a piece of bread that was brought by an apostle, you right. know? Like, there's a, a depth of history and connection to that that's really neat, that it would be sad for them to lose entirely. Because I'm sure that's not the only example of that kind of story in history. Right. Yeah. There's hope in sort of a sad way that the Christians will remain in Al-Kosh. I hope that they do for the sake of history, but I also understand why the, why they would want to leave. Mm-hmm. That's everything that I know. <laughs> All of your brain. My brain is now recorded onto a podcast. You can upload it to the internet and I can cease to exist. <laughs> no, not quite. Not quite. Um... If you have any uh, Chaldean friends or uh, stories about how maybe in your life, if you are Chaldean Christian, that, you know, other stories of history and how uh, it has been taught to you, uh, we would love to hear some of those stories. Yeah. And if you've been taking notes and I got something wrong, please let me know. I'm happy to issue a correction. I just covered, like, centuries and centuries of church history and I'm sure I got something wrong along the way. So let me know and I'll I'll issue a correction. <laughs> We'd love to hear from you. You can find us at Servant Group International on Facebook or Instagram and you should check out our blog and complete transcripts over at servantgroup.org. And it's really helpful for us if you share our podcast or leave a review on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on. It helps us know that people are listening and you can let us know what you want to hear next. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening. Gotta turn off the brain!